and welcome. You are listening to an episode of the Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. We really hope that you enjoy and benefit from this episode. So, hello folks and welcome to another episode from the Sales Chat Show, saleschatshow.com, deriving your sales success. I'm joined as always in the Sales Chat Show studio, unless one of them is doing something else and can't be bothered to turn up, Mr. Anthony Steers and Mr. Graham Jones. But also, this is a very special episode. We don't have many guests on the Sales Chat Show, but we have a great guest today. We've got James Love from an organization called Aspident and we are going to be talking about how understanding neurodiversity can power your sales success. So James and I have had a conversation, a pre-call to talk through this and I think we got some very, very interesting things for us. to. Obviously this is an important topic to consider from an inclusivity, diversity point of view but also we think there are some potential benefits for the sales profession in getting a better understanding in this topic area. So, James, a warm welcome to the sales chat show. Thank you very much for having me on. And Clearly just, a very a quick privilege, yeah. Oh, a, a, a privilege for us to have you. So just give us a quick give us a quick precy of what Aspident does. Or okay, is. so uh, Aspidents are a not-for-profit business. We're based up in Leeds. And effectively what we do, uh, what our goal is to help people with autism and and other similar conditions uh, access employment. Uh, And on the flip side, what we do is we help businesses retain their autistic and neurodivergent employees. Um, And we do that through training, workplace profiles and things like that. But effectively... The way we operate is is we run a framework which focuses more on underlying issues rather than just symptoms. Um, So effectively with autism, symptoms tell you very little about the individual in which you have the problem. So, yeah, effectively what we're all about is keeping initially autistic people in work. And when you look at the statistics of the number of people with autism who are in full time work, it's it's frankly unacceptable. Um, I think a high estimate is around 20 percent. A realistic estimate is probably lower than that. Uh, maybe if we take undiagnosed in, it could be that could skew things slightly. Um, but also a lot of those people feel they're operating at a level that isn't really matching their ability. Um, and I think for when we find ourselves in that situation as work, it can be quite depressing. Um, so, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, clearly a very important issue. Wonderful. Well, well, thank you for just giving us that kind of insight into, into the very important work that's done there. Um could you just, for the benefit of of our listeners and us as well, just a, a, a quick definition of neurodiversity, please, just so just so okay. we're all on the same page. So when the term neurodiversity was coined sort of back in the 90s, what it really meant was all minds. So it wasn't really referring specifically to people with um, diagnosable sort of disabilities around you know, things like autism and things like that. The idea was trying to remove that stigma and say it was like, all oh, people think differently, therefore we should embrace stuff. Um, as things have moved on, that sort of developed into something else. So the way people tend to refer to things now 
is where someone might have something such as autism, ADHD, dyslexia, they'd refer to that as neurodivergent. Um, but in order to have a divergent, you have to have a typical. So I find that quite difficult as well uh, to deal with because I don't think there's a typical human being. I haven't met one if there is one. And if <laughs> based on my lack of finding them, it sort of says there's not many of them out there. Yeah. Therefore, they're not typical. Uh, that actually is a topic we're going to return to a little bit later, isn't it, actually? When yeah. We're, a little, yeah. A little, we're going, to, going yeah. to explore that in a little bit more detail. So so really, it's 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 quite difficult. So personally, I like to get back from a medical and legal point of view to the labels to say, like, because what happens when you get a diagnosis of autism or ADHD is it's recognising that you have specific issues. So with autism, it's around social connection and communication. With ADHD, it has things around your ability to focus and maintain attention and things like that. Um, but other than that, it says very little about you. So I think if we're going to, where it really comes down to is how do we treat people as individuals and, yeah. and you know, understand people's strengths and weaknesses. Um, so, so yeah, the answer is it's quite difficult, but if we're going to go by the book, neurodiversity means the diversity of all minds. Yeah. Um, but somebody with an autistic diagnosis who may not be comfortable talking about it that way probably will refer to themselves as neurodivergent if that's how they want to do it then you know yes. that's good of, of course and and with the, the sales chat show in mind what do you think you know wise sales leaders and managers should be considering with regards to you know neurodiversity for example in in sales teams um so if i look at myself you know, I've started to learn I've got ADHD. Um, I'm currently working for a diagnosis. It's a long process at the moment to get one through the NHS. Um, and I did very badly at school. Um, I always felt I was quite smart, but school just didn't work for me, um, which narrows your career options. Mm. And I feel that sales provides an opportunity for people who didn't really fit in academically to earn a very good living. Um, and when I see a lot of people who are at the forefront of sales, I can kind of see some of those traits. Um, so I do think the sales world is a little bit of a world for misfits uh, to an extent. Uh, <laughs> I, and I'm I, doing that I, in I, the best I, possible way. Yeah, I resemble that remark, I have to say. <laughs> I so. There's three of us here. Yeah. 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 So imagine if, that, if you acknowledge that that's the case, imagine what happens when you put a sales team together. Yeah. You know, and it's it's it becomes you've got some very interesting individuals. And when I've looked back at sales teams I've been on, imagine there's like a sales team of 10 people. I've always seen like two high performers, two people who are on the verge of being sacked and like six in the middle. Um, and mm -hmm. no one really seems to be able to grasp, like, why are those people performing so well? Why are these people performing so badly? Why can these people coast? So the tendency is to look at those two high performers. But those high performers are high performing because you've set an environment and they found themselves in a place which is ideal for them. The two people at the other end probably are not in that. The CRM doesn't work for them. The way in which they're given information to transfer to the customer, the way they're being coached, all those sort of things might be totally against the way in which they see and experience the world. And therefore, by going like, what you're going to do is you're going to go out and you're going to learn to behave like this person over there is unreasonable because they're not that person. Um, and I think largely when we try to be people we're not, we suffer mentally and that's a problem. And then performance drops. So I actually, I think if you take a more adjustable attitude to your sales management and see people as individuals who see and experience the world differently, 
which is something that's definitely the case for a person with autism, then that can really help you solve individual problems, identify people's strengths, strengths, strategize around their weaknesses, and really help people perform at their best possible level. Um, so, yeah, and I think how you get there, like you've already alluded to, fits into with a lot of the sort of topics you talk about on this show all the time. Um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna come to that. We're gonna come to that because because uh, just to tease the listeners, James is a regular listener to the sales chat show and said a lot of the things we talk about <laughs> are very similar to what Aspident cover on their neurodiversity workshops. But we're gonna we're gonna come to that because I I was fascinated. <clears throat> I was fascinated with that. James, I would just I would I guess I would just kind of say and and challenge you know listeners. I think what James is saying. <clears throat> For me, that's what a good sales manager and a good sales leader would mm. do, should be doing anyway. Would you, Graham, Anthony, yeah. is that, am I, am I a bit nuts here or something? No, no, or is, no. Um, well, you're a bit nuts, but yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but I, I think James's lovely description of the typical sales team of, you know, yeah. two high performers, two low performers, and everybody mm. else in the middle reminds me of when I was doing some consultancy work with a company who wanted uh, to understand why the bulk of their sales team was not performing when they'd got this super salesperson who was hitting all the targets. We won't yeah. talk about sales targets today, okay? <laughs> but it was hitting all the targets uh, and everybody else in the team was not hitting their targets. And what that sales director wanted me to do was turn those people into the number one salesperson. And I, yeah. I spent the day with them arguing the case that they're not like they're not that person everybody's individual and what you should be doing as a sales director is managing the individuals not trying to make everybody the same yeah. and i think that it's certainly in big companies there is a tendency to have this kind of theoretical salesperson and then try and make them like that so we're we're in the world of professional speaking, James. The three the three of us, and we speak at conferences and events. And I think one of the things we see when people come into the world of professional speaking is they have this theoretical idea of what a professional speaker is, and then they try and be that on stage, and they're dreadful because yeah. they they are performing this role that isn't them. And as yeah. soon as you give them the freedom just to be themselves, suddenly they become much better speakers. Um, and it's the same for salespeople, that if you've got mm. a sales director who's got this, you know, team of, you know, high performers and low performers and is trying to make the low performers like the high performers, they never will be. They can perform very well, but what you've got to do is manage them differently. You've got to do what mm. works for them. And I, I think far too many sales directors just want to do what you were describing, really, is trying to make everybody the same. And yeah. it, it will <clears throat> never work. Yeah. I also think uh, problem solving plays a big part in a sales team, yeah. in the sales generally. You know, it's largely what the best salespeople do. And, um, you know, in order to problem solve, you need diversity of thinking and diversity of mind. And if as a sales director or manager, you can access diversity within a team, make sure everyone's heard and understood and, and process that, 
when I've been in a lot of sales meetings, you did a previous show on this, which I thought was very interesting, is a lot of it's presenting and passing on data. Very little of it is accumulative problem solving. Yeah. And, um, you know, actually, there's a real advantage in making sure you've got a diverse team which feel comfortable in being themselves and thinking in their own individual way. Because when you bring those people together and go like, okay, the new competitors come on the market, they're causing us real problems. Let's think how we can do deal with this. And if that diversity of thinking can come in, then who knows? You might be able to solve problems you never thought you could solve before. Yeah. So there's there's huge intangible intangible benefits from coming from you know, coming at this in a in a positive way, and not just seeing it as a thing a good thing to do from a diversity point of view. You know, actually, we can put real business benefits behind yeah. <clears throat> taking this seriously. Yeah. I mean, like, say, so yes, it's 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 the right thing to do, but also it's a beneficial thing to do as well james isn't yeah. it right which re- i think yeah. really helps to will help to convince some people you know that that we should be we should be focused on it when you um, look at the the data about companies that have real diversity so yeah. not just you know neurodiversity but diversity in all its aspects yeah. so people from different countries and different cultures and different genders and different sexualities you know when you've got big diversity in the business those businesses are profitable by about 28 percent more than their competing companies who have lower diversity yeah. mm. so actually the yeah. diversity gives you lots of ways of solving problems because somebody who's got a different culture or a different way of thinking can open up avenues to do things that you wouldn't have done if everybody was the same. Yeah. But to put a little warning sticker on that, there is a reason why in society we don't do diversity naturally. And that is because when you put a diverse group of people together, they never communicate well. They were left to their own devices. You know, they, they see the world different ways. They've got different experiences. They use different words sometimes. So you get this clashes. But if you get a good leader in place who can manage that and help people coordinate yeah. and communicate, then the sum becomes greater than its parts. And that's why these businesses do so much better, because they're able to, to do that. And that's why I think diversity is more than just an awareness thing or yeah. a thing you do. It's really about a very difficult competency, but the transferability of that competency is is immense. Yeah, um, I think that's where that that's where the power doesn't it come yeah. comes in and yeah. so from it there's 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 a there's a sales management and sales leadership aspect to this but also when we were having our, our pre-conversation it was about supporting neurodiverse customers right because there's a there's going to be yeah. a significant percentage right and particularly in certain professions james we talked about a particular profession that you you know you were you were familiar with what what's what's the kind of the the most important aspects do you think from a from the customer perspective um, I think if you can empathise, and then you know, with the way in which a customer sees the world and experiences the world, and the way they think and the way they take in information, then you're going to be far better at transferring the information to them in the right way. Um, so, I think, for example, my background's in the veterinary industry, and you know, largely when you're in the vet industry, it's one thing to sell stuff. The real thing you're trying to do is persuade an individual to change their habits and how they interact with their clients. And um, as a salesperson, we might tend to look at the big picture a lot. But when we look at these people who work in, say, a clinical environment, detail is is kind of everything. Mm. So I need to switch to understand that. Um, but I shouldn't assume that either. Because actually, I know a lot of vets who are very good at just looking at the big picture, getting stuff done, 
and um and working in that way but yeah i think the key thing is is and you talk about this all the time in your show if you can really see the perspective and the challenges that your you know your um customer experiences and sees then mm. you're going to be far more effective at getting a long-term solution and and bond with that individual um you know we tend to like spending time with people who understand us because <laughs> when people yeah. understand us our life is easier mm. so you mean trying to understand the customer and their need <laughs> is quite important then like but like it doesn't but this is the thing it doesn't just you know it's not just about sales is it you know it's it's you know we always talk about this this work life and then home life and actually the blurred that's becoming more and more blurred absolutely um <clears throat> and, and um yeah and with regards to kind of communication, information transfer, you know, which is a big part of sales, right? Getting getting that across. Yeah. What what will be some of your your considerations that you think so from a from a neurodiversity aspect? That a really good example. A really good example is small talk. If you look at a lot of what people with autism say about small talk, because it's one of their main complaints about society, they just don't understand it. Um, and I know as a lot of sales managers, I've actually spoken to autistic people who sales managers are going like, look, you're great at the sales thing, but you're not connecting with a customer properly. Can you engage, learn to engage in small talk? And they just go like, I just don't understand it. You know, I just don't see the point. Now, when we do small talk, it means nothing. You know, we're not actually transferring any useful information. What we're really doing is transferring emotion. So if we imagine the way we receive and process emotion is the same way we say we um, receive and process, say, sound or, or vision and things like that. So we send and receive emotion and we process emotion we receive and produce internally as well. Then um, it suddenly becomes quite interesting. And what's actually happening in small talk is we're exchanging emotion with one another in order to figure out where we're at. And that's how we build reports. Now, as with a sensory issue, you can get hypersensitivity or a hyposensitivity to it. And it may be that some autistic people and some non-autistic people as well sit at one end of that. So if you're hypersensitive to other people's emotion, you don't need to do small talk because you've already received that information. If you're hyposensitive, no matter how much small talk you do, you will never receive the information that it's intended to do. So in both cases, it just seems like a pointless exchange of words that leads to nothing yeah. um so if you're talking to a customer and you're doing a small talk like how are you and they're just not engaging they're not being rude necessarily it might be that they fall into one of these categories mm. so how do these people bond you know if they can't do small talk and the answer is often it's through doing stuff together solving problems and engaging in more meaningful chat um and this this is probably something i came up across inadvertently in my sales career i spend a lot of time engaging with people's interests outside work and and talking about the thing that's really got them tick and understanding and always that gave me a good understanding of what really motivates them in life what gets their emotions running mm. and things like that mm. what they are as a person rather than just a buyer and um you know i think that's a really key example of of where a lot of people will struggle and actually there's a lot of non-autistic people or people who don't have adhd who don't understand and hate small talk I think it's a. I think it's because the the default. Yeah. And Anthony, right? You you work with sales teams over the telephone all the time, right? The default must be let's let's make sure we do two to three minutes of. So how was your weekend? How's the weather? Oh, yeah. uh, well, it almost it almost be considered rude to jump straight into the point yeah. without yeah. doing a bit of small yeah. talk first. Um, yeah. I, it, 
hearing all of this, I think it's kind of interesting because you talked about from a from a sales leader's perspective um, about managing people differently. Um, and I, I remember a client, it was before COVID, so it was a, it was a few years back now. Um, and one of those top two, I think it was about 12 of them in the team, but it was that similar dynamics that you'd mentioned, James. One of the top two um, was a chap who had autism and the manager had really understood this mm-hmm. um, to the point where I didn't quite get, gather how much, how important this was because there was a couple of newbies that were complaining uh, and we'll call him Charlie. It wasn't actually his name that, that Charlie got special treatment because Charlie was allowed to go home for two hours at lunchtime. Okay. Um, But there were some other special things that were put around it. But the reason why Charlie was allowed to go home for two hours at lunchtime is because Charlie liked to get in early before the office was busy. And he didn't really like the banter and the lunchtime hecticness and he had a dog that he wanted to walk. So the manager turned around and said, as long as you do your job, if you want to go home for a couple of hours in the middle of the day, get away from the hecticness, then that's fine. And then one other thing that I noticed that he did was he said to the rest of the team, if it's a if if the client wants to go deep on these one or two areas, this is Charlie. Charlie knows this stuff. He's memorized it. If you want him to help you with a client, you have to email him and ask him. He will jump on a call and explain this to your clients. And people realize that you couldn't just go and put your hand around Charlie and go, hey, Charlie, I've got a client because he didn't really like that. It was a so the manager had really kind of gone. How do you want this to work? And really, like you said, James, provided the environment for him to thrive and do really well and play to his strengths rather than going copy this person. You've got to join in on the power hours. You must be involved in the competitions because actually that put him out of his comfort zone. It kind of put him in that yeah. social environment that he went, I don't like that bit. I just want to do my job. Yeah, so- I think I think that's a really good um, example. I mean, like one thing I'd do to perhaps take it further is that clearly what he's done is he's identified the strengths of Charlie in this mm-hmm. instance, and he's also made reasonable adjustments around areas mm-hmm. of difficulty for, for Charlie. Mm-hmm. Um, what sort of ticked in my brain was a bit where the other members of staff go like why is he getting special treatment and not there's two ways of looking at either his colleagues aren't very nice people but let's give them the benefit of a doubt or they're struggling too but they're giving them impression that they're coping and they don't have like a diagnosis to convince the sales manager that they need help too okay and actually i'll just just to jump in sorry there it it was only the two newbies that couldn't quite get their head around it but what was interesting was hearing the other team members go look he's a bit strange but he's really helpful and he's very knowledgeable all right this is how we work with him and i promise you it it works and it was kind of interesting to kind of like the newbies because they'd come from another sales team were like well why are they getting special treatment why can they go home why are we not allowed to go and interrupt them and it's just like just because that's the way we get the best out of him. And it was yeah, a really lovely, yeah. and and I, it felt like the rest of the team had embraced it, but the manager yeah. had really banged the drum to explain yeah. why. No, that's really that's really interesting. Because I think it actually, if the manager's then able to explain, like, this is the reason why we do that. Yeah. Yeah. I always think it's important personally to not reserve reasonable adjustments just for people with a disability. Mm. Okay. Because yeah. Yeah. actually... Mm. There's two words in reasonable adjustment. One's reasonable. If it's not reasonable, don't do it. Yeah. And adjustment is something you do in order to make life more comfortable or easier or, I mean, I'd be or more really, effective. I'd be really happy to say, well, would you like to come in? Would you like to come in early? So you can have two hours. I mean, if that's going to, yeah. how, how would you best like, how would you like to best organize your, 
your what's yeah. going to work what's going to work best for you right because it's yeah i don't need to have everybody in i mean it's a little yeah. bit of an old-fashioned model now isn't it right for goodness sake yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Well, tell me about the things in your environment you find challenging about this particular yeah. role yeah what's 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 causing you a great deal of stress and difficulty yeah. and actually you know it may be that someone with autism needs a lot of adjustments in order to help them um but Sometimes when people just go, actually, this thing's really getting in the way and I'm finding it really hard. Like it could just be, you know, there's something about the CRM and you go, okay, we can work around that. Therefore, um, actually going, that's a massive relief. Thank you. And often as long as people feel like they're being heard and that their difficulties are being understood and and addressed, then that has a really powerful effect. It's kind of important to ask that question. What areas do you struggle or find harder? And then also the follow-up question of, and how do you think we could fix this? Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I mean, they, they know the solution, but it's against protocol or process. And that's why they don't suggest, yeah. well, could you just leave me a post-it note there? I, mean, and, I, yeah, I, would, I, would, I would suggest in a demanding sales role, everybody is going to have areas of challenge and difficulty, right? And being yeah. a man, you're like, or by its nature, you're going to have... You're gonna have to. And, yeah. and when we were talking, James James came out with a with a quote. And I had to I had to stop him and write it down. Um, so I've got it here. If you understand autism, you understand the cognitive diversity of humanity. Ow, wow. So now understand. Now we are sales professionals. Understanding cognitive processes in our customers is about helping them make decisions, understand how they make decisions, et cetera, so on and so forth. So, James, that was a bit of a wow quotation. You, yeah. Please, 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 please expand on that. So, so when my colleague, Dr. Elizabeth Guest, came up with a framework for doing her her profiling of autistic you know, autism profiles, basically she um, realised that symptoms tell us very little and people can share symptoms, but what's causing those symptoms to occur can be very, very different. So she started to look at, okay, what are the underlying issues? And um, ultimately we come up with around 50 different components and um, that can be around sensory issues, thinking and learning style, processing, you know, style and speed, um, all sorts of things. And there's about 50 things. Um, And when you understand why someone behaves the way they behave or why something happens or why they're thinking coming to certain conclusions then or why they're showing certain symptoms then actually we can solve the problem because we know why it's happening whereas if you just look at the symptoms you're kind of kind of guessing at what's going on so if you've got the ability to be able to understand the most complex cognitive individuals, which would largely be in the autism side, because they're on the very outside of of, of what's what we define as normal in inverted commas. Then, when somebody's not so far, you know, on that edge of a bell-shaped curve, then that's going to be a lot easier. Mm. Um, so, and I think the thing is, is that okay, we can look at other systems such as you know psychometric profiling is is alluding to this but largely all that study is around the center of a bell-shaped curve so really we're when we're looking at those extreme differences then suddenly it changes your perspective on everything um and then you can look at people as individuals and i think when we simplify things we tend to leave black spots and we tend to um and blind spots and we tend to make assumptions about people 
And it's probably one of the main things, and I hear it a lot on this podcast, is don't make assumptions. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> in those assumptions, which get particularly hard. And actually, it's assumptions made about autistic people that they're rude or um, that they must have a superpower or yeah. something like that. That's where a lot of the real harm happens. Um, so, yeah, if you've got the ability to empathise with someone who sees and experiences the world completely differently to you, then actually using those same skills to empathise with somebody who's not so different to you becomes a hell of a lot easier. Yeah. Um, so it's almost like stretching your understanding in order to help it to grow. Yeah, that was the impression. If we go, if we go to that edge, like you said, the edges coming yeah. back, then you're coming back in you're empowered far more aren't you you know it's like, yeah it's like it's like sales on steroids really it's really really i'm just interested yeah. just when you think about how people make decisions and the sales yeah. manager will say so why did they go with the competition and the salesperson goes because they're stupid and they kind of go yeah. no they're not <laughs> stupid they made a decision it just wasn't it wasn't in your favor because you don't understand that you don't understand what they need or you've made assumptions or things it's so classic isn't it why why yeah. What was the reason? I've no yeah. idea. It's either price, or or maybe just the customer's an idiot, yeah. right? And he goes, no, no, neither neither of those apply, right? Yeah, you know? and I think the example Anthony gave, you know, I'd imagine generally that particular manager is a is a highly effective leader, and it might be those skills are completely innate to him, um, and that's probably why he's great. But actually, if he can be conscious and learn these skills when they're not naturally coming to you then that can be extremely extremely powerful um if i I was gonna say if i remember correctly i think he had a family member with autism which was why why he then had that conversation to find out what's going on in their world what what their preferences and then enabled the 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 options to get in and get settled get away from the thing that he didn't like and and create a process that wouldn't disrupt his flow when he was in the office so it was it was kind of clever but oh i'll be honest with you i was smiling through some of that because um uh i know that psychometric testing is is kind of potentially useful but again it puts people in boxes and if they're not yeah if they're towards the outside of that bell curve like you say it kind of it's as accurate as a horoscope shall we say uh for some in some instances yeah everybody's individual so i think if you as a manager can understand people in your team whether they have autism or not the more you understand about them and to open up your job is to facilitate them to do their job as well as possible, not to bang, hit them with a stick and tell them to copy somebody who's doing really well. It's to try and lift people up yeah, so that they can do as well as possible. I know we're quite often they're, they're too busy trying to, like we were saying earlier, mold them into that idyllic dream salesperson. But, um, but I find with my training, I give people structure. But after my group training and I've given people the basics and I've and I've given them some some kind of rules and some structure, it then becomes very coachy. And what I mean by Mm. that is everybody's got their own style. So you can kind of give them some principles and some rules. But if you try and make everybody march to the same beat, it just like you say, doesn't Mm. work. And providing providing they're doing sufficient diagnosis before they make a prescription like a doctor, how, how that is done. Mm hmm. It's very much like that's the individual. Yeah. That's the individual, isn't it? Right, and they and they'll do it in their own way. Sometimes, mm. yeah, you can help with structured questioning formats and things. But the really good, really good salespeople, it's a conversation, right? It's a conversation with a customer that mm. has a that has a purpose. 
And we've, we've, I've mentioned this, and we've, we, James has alluded to this as we've gone through. So you said that you have to listen in, you know, you're, you're a loyal sales chat show listener, James. God bless you. You've listened to a number of episodes, and you, you said we keep repeating very similar themes to what Aspident cover on their neurodiversity workshops. So yeah. just give us a summary of those of those so, themes because i found that fascinating so if we go to like the last slide on on a presentation we do to um you know where we speak um we kind of got four tips on how to achieve an environment that's good for for people who are neurodivergent or have autism or adhd um and it'd be interesting to see we'll do a little tick every time it goes along with the sales <laughs> chat show. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the first one is become competent at reasonable adjustments. Mm. Become adjustable. You know, I, I, I think, know you're, I you're, think you're, you address that. Yeah, your context but, is slightly different, but, but exactly. abs- absolutely, absolutely. But be be yeah. flexible in your approach and, yeah. and understand and flexible to the needs of people. Yeah. Um, improve your listening and communication skills. Oh, that'll be a tick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Remove assumptions. No, we've never said that. <laughs> <laughs> About 500 times. Probably. 500 and, here's, times. and here's another one. Question before you react. Yeah, isn't mm. that... That's I, I have to say, when, when James and I were having our pre-conversation, I took a photo of this. I went, oh my goodness. That is yeah. like... That's the yeah. last hundred episodes of the sales chat show on one yeah. on one slide, isn't it? Which is... Yeah, and really, what you're doing is you're changing that from trying to reach a transactional outcome yeah. to actually going actually trying to understand a human being who yeah. might be going through a hard time right now, yeah. Who, yeah. who who you need to connect with and and find a better way of doing. It. And you know, I think I think like the life between work and home is becoming more and more blurred. I think. Mm. To some extent, the world between what our relationships with customers are becoming more and more blurred. We don't necessarily need to be friends with them, but you know, we probably need to understand them better a lot more. And you know, their emotions become much, much more important. Um, For me, it just seems like such an absolute obvious thing. that you would want to do to do those four things for all sorts of very, very good reasons. Some of them very pragmatic. Some of them. It's it's the right ethical yeah. thing to do as an organization. If you want to attract the right people, yeah. you know, going forwards as an organization, if people if people see that's a that's a culture where certain people are excluded, a lot of people say, Well, I don't want to be part of that culture because I don't want to be part yeah. of you know, see people are becoming, I think, more more enlightened, I hope, over time about that. You know, they yeah. want a diverse workplace with as Graham said, but all, all of those different all of those different aspects of diversity. And I and as as someone who's, you know, had a had a little dalliance away from sales into sort of talent and leadership, there's a lot of talent and it out there in certain in certain, you know, whatever we might call them, groups, yeah. groups or categories of people. And if your organization does not make them feel welcome and then enables them to work successfully and happily, they're going to go and work for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's like the old-fashioned McKinsey war for talent, how well, years ago, right, decades ago, they started still there. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's still there. And Anthony, I mean, you're, you're, you're uh, quote-unquote Charlie, no, you're not using his yeah. real name, but you say he's one of the high performers in the team. Uh, yeah, he was. He was definitely. He wasn't the highest performer, uh, but he was definitely at that top end. Um, but he was also enabling some of the others. Yes. some of the others to perform as well right so there's yeah a, that's um, like in football that's the that's the person who scores the goal and the person who assists right yeah. so charlie's charlie's probably 
assisting a lot of sales getting closed. Yes, he ended up yeah. doing a bit of pre-sales with the other salespeople's, yeah. with the other salespeople and their clients, because his knowledge, retention, and understanding of this stuff was was far above everybody else. Yeah, yeah, um, and and yeah, and once yeah. they realised that that was the strength, um, yeah, it's really played upon. Uh, I know, leverage. I know a story of a car salesman who's now a multi-millionaire who uh, was autistic, and um, basically he became highly successful for his ability to do pattern recognition. So okay. he would see behaviours of customers in the showroom and be able to identify how to match things through re- recognising simple patterns he consistently saw. And yep. when he put those into action, he had a highly you know highly it was highly effective in that showroom um but there's also salespeople who are terrible at pattern recognition but still a very effective salespeople so so it's so it's it's interesting um and i think we make an assumption with autistic people that because they their disability is generally centered around communication and and connection that they wouldn't be good salespeople but actually in some contexts they can that can be a real strength yeah. And in other contexts, just having one or two people like that in your sales team can add to the strength of the overall team, uh, too. So, so well, yeah, hope, it's it's really interesting. I hope in some small way this episode will challenge some of those uh, incorrect assumptions that may have been made, Jane. So, thank you very yeah. much for sharing your 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 thoughts, and, um, and hopefully even Simon empower people to speak up to their managers. Yes, if they feel that there are yeah. some reasonable adjustments that could help their performance. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Ab- 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 absolutely and james yeah. please if people want to know more about aspident give us give us the give us the details let 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 folks know about uh, you've you've mentioned what you do but if you want to just just give us give yeah. us the kind of the main points again that'd be great and how to get um, in touch <clears throat> so a website which we're in the process of updating is um aspident.com a-s-p-i-e-d-e-n-t um so uh you can find us there but look me up on linkedin i'm fairly active there people say i'm interesting so so that's good which is <laughs> weird for linkedin i suppose um <laughs> and of course get in touch if you're interested in finding out more or you have an autist- autistic member of staff who might be struggling and you really want to uh, get a better understanding as to how to to help them in the best possible and most effective way um and of course uh, something we do is uh, cognitive diversity workshops, um, which which came about from us wanting to provide some neurodiversity training to somebody who was concerned that they might have some undiagnosed or um, or people who are diagnosed and weren't um, telling them that they had these particular um, conditions. Um, so he didn't want it to be about them or for other people to think it's about them. So he goes, how can we make this about everyone understanding their differences better and how yeah. they're different and how they see the world? Um, so, yeah, we created a, a, a effectively a diversity, neuro, you know, cognitive diversity training without labels. Uh, and that could be really effective and, and really give sales teams the opportunity or any team the opportunity to talk yeah. about <clears throat> the, the the strengths and challenges they have in their in their workplace and work environment. Well, I hope, so, I hope that some of the things we've discussed, James, means that if you're a sales manager or a sales leader listening to this, you might want to get some of your sales teams booked onto one of James's um, absolutely, workshops. Absolutely. Right? And, and, and if hopefully, if, if the sales manager's listening, hopefully one of the things they've picked up from this is that it's not just about 
you know, disability that actually if they embrace this, they'll do a good thing and they will drive the success yeah. of their business and potentially move themselves onto a level they never realised they'd get to so fast. Yeah, that is that is wonderful. James, thank you. Thank you so much. Anthony Graham as well, thank you very much for your contributions. What a great episode, uh, folks. There are uh, uh, over now 250 episodes. I think James has listened to all of them. So <laughs> thank you, James, for that. They're, they're all available from wherever you prefer to get uh, your podcast. And please do, please do subscribe to the Sales Chat Show so you'll be notified of new episodes um, as they come through. We think this has been a particularly important topic. Um, so if you would like to just share this please folks on social if you've benefited from this episode please do please do promote this we just think this is a really really important topic that should be should be given uh, appropriate publicity and so feel feel free to let your friends know and share it out on social media we'd really appreciate it in the meantime we would like to wish you good luck and good selling folks You have been listening to an episode of The Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. And from everyone here at The Sales Chat Show, we'd like to wish you good luck and good selling. (laughs) 